compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Bro, what are you waiting for? Download the Relevant Radio app, listen to the Patrick Madrid Show, and let the good times roll. <laughs> hey, that's a new voice. I like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Surfer dude. 888-914-9149. You can call that number now. We'll get you on the air with your comment or question. 888-914-9149. That number or is sponsored by Catholic Order Foresters. And if you participated in our pledge drive this past week, thank you to you. We exceeded our goal. We had a need of $3 million, and we exceeded that to the point of $3.2 million. Inconceivable! Wonderful. Yeah, it's really great. So I just want to say thank you, all of you who participated. Uh, I want to get the exact number here so I can share that with you. But it was uh, above and beyond, and we're so grateful to God and his mercy and you and your generosity. But uh, just waiting for the number to appear on my screen, then I'll share it with you. But if you haven't or didn't have a chance to participate, we're still going to have the door open for you for a couple days. So we'll count your pledge if you want to make one uh, for this pledge drive. Just go to relevantradio.com and make your pledge there or use the Relevant Radio app and you can make your pledge there. By the way, that exact number, 13,983, were the ones who participated. And uh, we're so grateful. So thank you for that. 888-914-9149. We'll go now to, let's see, let's go to Angelina in the Bronx. Good morning, Angelina. Oh. Welcome. Oh, good morning, Patrick. Uh, yeah, I have a brother-in-law who's Jewish, and he doesn't understand uh, how God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I told him, I don't Most understand Catholics it either. either. I just think it's all one, one person, right? No, no, it's not. Um, let's talk about that. All so right. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that he doesn't understand it because I think that most Catholics don't really understand it. I mean, nobody truly understands the Trinity in the sense of being able to comprehend it fully. It's so far beyond our human, puny intellectual abilities that we can know a certain amount about it, and some know more than others due to study and prayer, but none of us on this side of eternity will be able to truly understand it in the fullest sense. It's just too big. It's too lofty of a truth for us to, to get into our minds. But we can say a few things about this. So number one, biblically, the Bible tells us that there is only one God, and so we can take that to the bank. There's only one God. There aren't multiple gods. There are not bigger gods or lesser gods. There's just one God by nature. And we also know that the Bible tells us repeatedly that the Father is God. The Bible also tells us that the Son, Jesus, is God. And the Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit is God. So taken together, the first principle is there's only one God, and the second principle is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are each called God, that leads us to realize that there is one God, and as Jesus revealed this to us, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Now, you, you raised a very astute question, Angelina. You asked, does this mean that there's just one person? The answer is no. A person is who you are. A nature is what you are. So if I asked you, you know, who are you? You'd say Angelina. If I said, what are you? You'd say a woman. So by nature, you are a human being. And as a person who, who is the subject of your nature, you're Angelina, an individual, unique person. So without trying to get too deep into this, the simple way of putting it is that from all eternity, before time even existed, God created time and space and everything that exists that is not God, God created it, either directly or indirectly. So from all eternity, eternally existing, God is one God by nature, and he knows himself not just perfectly, but infinitely. And there's an important distinction here is that God is infinite, meaning there is no limitation to his perfections. There's no limitation, for example, to his existence or his knowledge or his beauty, etc. So what this means is that there's no end to it. It just continues on endlessly. It's hard for us to even begin to imagine that because there's nothing in the created universe that is infinite. So everything runs out at a certain point, but not so with God. So when we talk about God being omnipotent, all-powerful, or omniscient, he know, it doesn't mean merely that he knows everything, but in the case of God, that his knowledge is unlimited. And the one thing that God can know infinitely, because it doesn't run out, unlike all of his creatures, which do run out, the one thing that God can know infinitely is himself. So to use an analogy, which is not a perfect analogy, but maybe helpful, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you have an image of who you are. Now that image in the mirror is not actually you, but it's a reflection of you. So God knows himself perfectly and infinitely. So what that means is that his knowledge of himself, or that, to, to use the analogy again, the, the mirror image of God is distinct from him, but it's not separate from him because you couldn't have a separate infinite entity. It would cancel out the first entity. They, one would not be the other and vice versa, in which case it couldn't be truly infinite because he's missing something. He's not that. He doesn't have that infinite over there. So what this means is that the the logos, as the Bible uses the term, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And then we go to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's referring to the second person of the Trinity. So in other words, from all eternity, God has known himself, seen his own reflection, and that reflection of himself is the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the Son, S-O-N. And then from all eternity, the Father and the Son, not only knowing each other, but also loving each other, gives rise to the third person of the Trinity. Now, when I say gives rise to, it, it, it doesn't sound right because it's not as though the Father came first and then the Son and then the Holy Spirit. It's simultaneous and from all eternity. Again, difficult for us to even begin to try to comprehend. But that's what we mean when we say one God and three persons. They don't have three separate 
divine natures. Because if they did, then none of them would be infinite. Because none of them would, would have what the other one has, which is something uh, infinite itself. So the three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from all eternity, knowing and loving each other, subsist in one single divine nature. It cannot be separated, cannot be divided, can't be cut into three parts or anything like that. It's one God in three persons. Now, I just gave you a two-minute overview. If your friend would be interested, there's a book called Theology for Beginners by Frank Sheed, and then another book he wrote afterward called Theology and Sanity, and those books go deeper into this very august truth. Theology for Beginners? Yeah, Theology for Beginners by Frank Sheed. Say that again? Theology for Beginners, and that's the name of the book. Uh, The author's name is Frank Sheed, S-H-E-E-D. I hope that's helpful, Angelina. Thank you. Let's go to Alex now in California. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Mr. Madrid. I have two quick questions for you. Hopefully we can get sure. to the second one. But the, fir- but the first question is, will we know when we die if we get into heaven or hell or purgatory? Like, is, is perception or, like, awareness, is that part of our bodily, you know, our, our earthly body? Well, it is in this life. That's true. So we know... We know how we know. We know things the way we know them because of our bodies. So in this life, we experience perception by our senses, what we see and touch and taste, etc. And that's, I would say, the vast majority of what we know. Now, there's certain intuitions or things you can know that don't require sensory input, but vastly outnumbering that would be the things that we know. We know what food tastes like. We know what it, what it feels like to fall in love. We know what it feels like to be sick. And all the things in which there are individual experiences or individual things like a dog or a tree or a, a, a dish of lasagna that we can, by forming based on the input that comes to us from our senses, our intellect has a capacity or has an operation known as, as the imagination. And the imagination, you might say, converts this sensory input because you've eaten a dish of lasagna. You know what that dish of lasagna tastes like. You've seen a tree, you've touched a tree, maybe you climbed a tree, but you you don't have to have seen and touched and climbed every single tree in the whole world in order to know what a tree is. So the intellect is the capacity or the operation of, I'm sorry, the imagination is the operation of your intellect and soul that converts these individual instantiations into a category. You know, what is lasagna as such? What is pizza as such? What is a tree, a dog, etc.? So those, those phantasms, they're called, they're not ghosts or anything like that, but those images that your int- intellect produces by way of the imagination allow you to perceive things and and have memories, and know about people, and things like that. So the reason I'm going into this little explanation is because that's how we know things, by and large, in this life. But when you die, you become a disembodied spirit for a time, until the end of the world, when you receive your body back. So in the interim, you will not have your body to rely upon your eyes, or your ears, or your taste buds, etc., you will receive knowledge directly into your intellect, into your soul, 
And later on, when we receive our bodies back at the general resurrection, then we will become fully human again, if you want to use that terminology, will be who we're meant to be, body and soul. And we will know again in, at that time the way we know now, both intellectually as well as in a bodily way, whatever that may mean. So am I getting to the heart of your question? You're asking about in heaven or hell, how will we know? We will know as disembodied souls. But we will retain our memories, and we will recognize people, and we will be recognizable to people as well. Roger that. Understood. I, I think I get you. I, I think I get you, Patrick. Uh, okay. Thank you for your, for your, for your answer. Um, my second question was, if someone is, lives a moral life, and they are not Catholic, or, or they're not even Christian, they're some other religion, or they're, mm-hmm. or, or they're an atheist, can they get into heaven? No. Not, not without faith in Jesus and not without baptism. So Jesus is really clear about this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, and that's just truncating the many things that Jesus says on this issue. So the fact that we believe in Jesus and we uh, are sorry for our sins, etc., that's the basis of salvation. Now, I'll put it this way. The church has always taught the dogma of no salvation outside the church. This goes back to the time of the apostles, that in order to be saved, you have to be grafted into Jesus. But then there arises the question, well, what about people who don't have that opportunity? What about people, maybe, and we can make it really easy by saying, what about infants who die without baptism? Because Jesus says in John chapter 3, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he has been born again by water and the Holy Spirit. The context there is baptism. At the very end of his public ministry, when Jesus says to the apostles, go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, um, uh, he who uh, believes and is baptized will be saved. Or in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the people, the Jews listening to the apostles on the day of Pentecost, they're struck to the heart, and they want to know, okay, what do we do? You preach to us about Jesus, what do we do? And and St. Paul, St. Peter rather says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you should receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, they had to repent because they were adults. But to, to the second part of the question here, what about all those people who never have the opportunity to do what Jesus commanded. Well, the church teaches that there is no salvation outside the church for all, you know, the normative means of coming to the church, etc. If you ignore that, if you reject that, etc., if you leave the church, for example, that's another issue, then you could not expect to be saved. But for the people who, through no fault of their own, did not ever get baptized or were never in the church in any formal sense, the church also teaches that there is a way that's known to God only. He hasn't revealed that to us. And because he is God and he is sovereign and he can do what he wishes to do with his grace, however he wants to do it, the church says that he can give grace that would be necessary for salvation for anybody. And so that would be somebody who we would say is under the you might say, under the banner of invincible ignorance. Their, their ignorance about this is not their own fault. So we entrust those souls to God, and we have no way of knowing who they are, but we can say that anybody who has the opportunity to come to faith in Jesus 
and be baptized and become Catholic. That's the obligation. So no, if a Buddhist has been faced with this and says, nope, not interested, um, Jesus is really clear. He says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but do not do what I command you? And one of the things Jesus commands us to do is to repent of our sins and have faith in him. So that's the long and the short of it. I hope that helps a little bit, Alex. So earlier when you said these people were ignorant, what exactly were they ignorant of? Which people are we talking about now? Earlier in your answer when you said that there were people who were, you know, oh. uh, ignorant. Ignorant. Yeah, so we, as I was using an example earlier, so to make it easy, we could say infants who die in the womb. So let's say a miscarried baby or an aborted baby or a child who dies before the age of reason. Now, that's an easy-peasy example because nobody's going to argue that they could possibly know because they don't have that mental capacity. What about the Buddhist you know, friend of yours? That's where it gets tricky, and that's where we, we don't know. What we can say is that let's assume that he does know better or he mm-hmm. has been presented with the gospel and he refused it uh, mm-hmm. maybe many times over. Well, the there's really one of two ways of answering the question about him personally. Mm-hmm. Either he knows and is guilty in some way for re- rejecting the truth or... Mm-hmm. He's not guilty of not knowing, but we have no way of knowing which category he falls into. Only God can know that. So the ignorance that somebody is not responsible for is something known to him and God, and maybe not even him, maybe only to God alone who would really know. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for your answer, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that. Why don't we take a break and we'll come back to more of your phone calls and emails. The number is 888-914-9149. I'm here for you. If you have a question, maybe you need some advice, whatever it may be, 888-914-9149. I'll be right back. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance company not available in all states. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. I told you, Cyrus, I told you that the Jew hatred would start bubbling to the surface. And so it has. Are so you, this is... You're getting emails? Uh, eh, so far, only one. Oh, but okay. give it time. Give it time. Once the word circulates, it'll, 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 there'll be more of it. So this is from Steve uh, in Sacramento. Steve, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, subject, quote unquote, no genocide in Gaza. You are so misinformed regarding Gaza. A year ago, I was like you. Israel could do no wrong. I'm going to stop right there. Steve, this is what's frustrating about people like you. Have you ever, have you ever in your life heard me say Israel can do no wrong? Did you hear me say that today, Steve? The answer is no to both questions because I've never held that view. I've never said that Israel can do no wrong. Of course they can do wrong. Of course they have their problems. 
plenty of them. Kind of like these United States, but different set of problems. So you're leading with an error. I mean, my advice would be think clearly and don't, you know, don't jump the shark like you just did here. I'll continue. A year ago, I was like you. Israel could do no wrong. Gaza was bad. Okay, first of all, or second of all, Gaza is not a person. Gaza is a strip of land in the southwest of Israel. Maybe you're thinking Palestinians. Maybe you're thinking Hamas. So, I mean, not only is your logic fuzzy, but your terminology is also fuzzy. Gaza was bad. There are other Jewish voices that will give some enlightenment, and he gives a series of different ones. Uh, but a few of the informative sources of what's really happening in the Holy Land, please, Mr. Madrid, become educated in that area. Learn about Nakba. Learn about mowing the lawn. I look forward to hearing your response on the air. Well, you're hearing it now, Steve. If you continue with your easy mainstream narrative, then it will be obvious that you have sold your soul and are a fraud. Thank you for your time. <laughs> All right, Steve. I, I, I probably am not going to be able to help you. Um, I've been to the Holy Land any number of times. I've spent a lot of time, far more time, by the way, with Palestinians, eating with them, visiting with them, being in their homes, uh, understanding them face-to-face -face far, far, far more than I've spent any time really with any. In fact, I, I can't think of any uh, Israeli Jews that I've spent much of any time with at all. Um, spending lots of time in Palestinian areas, so a little bit in the West Bank, but more especially in, in Bethlehem. I've never been to Gaza but um, don't need to. Um, so if, if this is the way your mind works and Jew bad, Hamas good, if that's what you're referring to by Gaza, then I, I don't know if I can help you. Um, and if you think that I've sold my soul and I'm a fraud because I believe that the Jews have a right to defend themselves, I definitely can't help you, sir. Thank you for the email, though. 888-914-9149. Let's go to football calls in Wallington, New Jersey. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. This is an unofficial observation, but I'm not really a big football fan. Okay. Uh, the state of Missouri, which Kansas City Chiefs come from, has the most restrictive abortion laws in the United States, with very few exceptions. Mm -hmm. And unofficially, it seemed to notice that the teams that come from the states that have the uh, like San Francisco, California, the uh, very liberal ones, they seem not to do as well as the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm not a gambling man, so uh -huh. I didn't think of God. He let me know that, that I was supposed to go and try and make money on it. So I just, yeah. uh, I mean, that's it. Well, here's something interesting, though. Here, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's mm -hmm. something interesting. Um, certainly the Chiefs, I guess, now, because they're at the top of the heap as of last night, um, but over the years, though, haven't some other Super Bowl champs come from states where the abortion laws are very uh, permissive? So California comes to mind. Oh, yes. Yes. So I'm wouldn't that undermine lately, the theory? I mean, three times. Well, it seems they more often, should I say, then, and not all the time. What about the Patriots, though? I mean, don't they hold the record for the total number of Super Bowl uh, I'm, I'm talking recently. I'm not talking about always in the past. You talk like the last three or four. Since 2022, I think, that's when Missouri passed their abortion law, the restrictive abortion law. So I'm talking since then. 
I mean, okay. I'm not trying to be difficult. It just I don't think this theory would pan out because in that time, um, haven't the and this is where I'm going to show my football ignorance. So forgive me, but haven't the I'll Patriots the <laughs> haven't the Patriots won a Super Bowl since the laws were restricted tighter in in um, Kansas City, Missouri? I mean, haven't they won at in least one Super Bowl? Yeah. I'm not sure, sir. I'm not sure. Okay, I said, anyway, I just did limited research, and it was just an observation. Uh, one quick question. Who was yes, Jesus Christ before he was incarnate? Well, Jesus as a person is the second person of the Trinity, the Son. And in the incarnation, he revealed himself to us as God and man in the person, in the person we can say, of Jesus. But Jesus is not a second or separate person. He's the second person of the Trinity who became man took on human nature. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I guess some people think, well, did, did the body of Jesus pre-exist the incarnation? No. I'm sure somebody's thinking that, and I was going to think, how do, I, how do you answer that question? Yeah, the answer is no. So he took flesh when he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So that's when his body began. His body is a creature. His whole human nature is a creature, his human mind, his will, his human intellect, okay. his human body. That's all part of the mm-hmm. of the um, human mm-hmm. nature. But that's when that began. Well, Joe, you're asking some interesting questions. I do appreciate that. Thank you. Cyrus, any word on whether some people think that the Chiefs won because of Taylor Swift? I mean, there could any be any kind. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, yeah, lots of conspiracies. Maybe the game was six hours long so the, so the television network could squeeze in all the $7 million 30-second commercials. Maybe. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories. One thing I can tell you is that uh, CBS definitely swung the camera toward the the box where Taylor Swift and her entourage was many, many times. It was just like every every five minutes they were seeing what those people were doing. I used to really get into football, and I'd get really upset when my team lost. I'd get really happy when they won. And I had an epiphany once when I went to go pout in my car after the Packers Mm -hmm. were beat. By some other, t- I don't even remember what the team was. And I'm sitting here, and it's it's early on a Sunday, and I'm like, I'm letting something that I have no control over affect my mood and how I'm treating other people. And it was like this; it was like an epiphany. I like woke up, yeah. and I I just stopped putting that much effort into something that I have no control over. And then a few years later, I'd still watch the game, and it was fun and everything. A few years later, the Packers went to the Super Bowl; they won. And I was, it was, it was cool. They won. And then Monday rolled around and I woke up and I went to work and I did my normal job and nothing in my life had changed. It was the first time the team I wanted to win won anything Mm -hmm. and it didn't change anything. It was, it was no, I don't know how to explain it. It was, it's, it's not important. But and it uh, and it has no c- control or effect one way or the other on you. It really does, life. and it's so. Then I still see other people and how how upset they get or how excited they get. And it's fun to get excited. I mm-hmm. I like that. But to have the other side of it, if you if you if you get so excited that then if you also get that much upset on the other side of that coin, mm-hmm. is it really worth it? Well, I wonder if people who are, are so tied to the the teams that they love that they feel as though they lost. You know, if their team loses, somehow that reflects negatively on them or that they lost. Yeah, I don't follow that line of, of thinking myself. Um, you know, to, your, to kind of take what you just said and tie it back into the comment that the gentleman a moment ago was raising, 
I have the statistics here for the, I guess the Super Bowl is going all the way back to Super Bowl one in 1967. But the most recent several, so as of yesterday, of course, Kansas City won 25 to 22. They won last year 38 to 35 over Philadelphia. The year before that, 2022, the Rams won 23 to 20 against Cincinnati. And so this is what I was bringing up about the gentleman's question. I don't know if you'd call it a theory, but his question was that I wonder if the Kansas City Chiefs won because Kansas City, Missouri is in a place where among the most restrictive laws against abortion are in place. But it would seem to undermine that theory because in 2022, the Rams, who come from Los Angeles, come from California, which is probably the most permissive state when it comes to abortion, they won the Super Bowl. And Kansas City lost the Super Bowl in 2021 to Tampa Bay. Florida's uh, abortion laws are, I think, much more like Kansas or Missouri would be. So it's just interesting to look at it. In the Patriots' uh, last Super Bowl, I see that they were in was in 2019, and they beat the Rams there. So you had one liberal pro-abortion area beating another liberal pro-abortion area. I don't think you can really get anything from that. It's interesting. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Jennifer now in Auburn, Indiana. Good morning, Jennifer. Yes, good morning. Um, yes. My hi. question is, if God is all-powerful and if he's perfect, why is there still, for salvation to happen, there has to be free will of humans, and there's, humans mm-hmm. are still free to hurt each other and have all the suffering, and I don't know, I'm just trying to make sense of it all. No, it's a good question. And what you're raising is what's known as the problem of evil. If God exists and he is, in fact, all-powerful and all-loving, then how can evil exist? Because it would seem that because evil exists, that either God is not all-powerful, meaning that he can't stop evil, or he's not all-loving because he won't stop evil, or some would say he doesn't exist at all because evil exists. So this is the age-old problem of evil. So it's not not a dumb question at all. It's a very good question. And ultimately, the answer ties in with what you alluded to, and that is free will. So evil as such is caused by angelic and human free will choices to choose against God's plan for our happiness. And as you know from experience, I certainly know from experience, whenever you choose something against God's plan for your life, something that he says, you know, do this, you'll be happy. Don't do that, you won't be happy. When we choose against God's will, inevitably, we, like throwing a pebble into a pond, we send out ripples. And the ripple effect can harm other people who are entirely innocent. So take a drunk driver who crashes into a bunch of people and and kills them. They were minding their own business. They weren't doing anything wrong. It was that person, the drunk driver's um, free will choice to do something wrong that caused evil in the lives of these other people and the suffering and pain for the people who survive, etc., so it's, a, it's, in a way, kind of a, a rather complicated topic if we're going to take all these different factors into account. But in another way, depending on how you look at it, it can also be rather easily summarized. And the summary is this, that because God loves you and he wants you to be happy and he created you out of love, he didn't need to create you or me, 
He didn't need, need to create anything. But the fact that God created human beings and angels is a testimony to his love. He wants to share himself with us. He wants to reveal himself to us and and draw us to him so that we can be completely blissfully happy in this life and then forever in the life to come. Are you with me so far, Jennifer? Would you agree with these things I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So because of that, we can say that God has given us free will because without free will, we could not respond to his love with our own love. We would be automatons. We'd be puppets. We'd be algorithms. We'd be robots. We'd be something, but we wouldn't be persons who can freely respond to God's love. Otherwise, we'd be forced. Now, here's what happens if that were true. If we didn't have free will, number one, not only could you not really love God, but you couldn't really do anything that would be truly sinful. You couldn't be guilty of anything if you had no free will. If you didn't have free will, you would just do what you were programmed to do. And, and you couldn't be guilty of anything because you had no choice. So the fact that hell exists and that people go to hell because they choose against God, that would be impossible. Uh, uh, the only other possibility would be that God is a cruel tyrant and he hates you and he's sending you to hell, not because you did anything wrong, it was out of your control, but he just doesn't like you. So he's sending you to hell. That's not the God who exists, of course. So the, the recognition that we all have that some things that we do incur guilt automatically recognizes the reality of free will. And this is true on the positive side as well, that if you respond to God's love with your own love, then you are doing something meritorious in his eyes. You are cooperating with his grace. So in the case of God permitting evil, a lot of it has to do with he respects our free will. Now, this is not the only answer. This is not even, you know, the entirety of it. But part of it is that God respects our free will. And even though what we do by way of sin is contrary to what he wants, he tolerates it. He permits it. And yes, it even, he permits it to the extent that it can harm innocent people. It's part of the, what we call the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of sin. And ultimately... As the Bible says, all things work together for the good for those who love God. So even in the midst of evil, cancer and wars and tsunamis and all the various kinds of evil, natural evil and moral evil, even still in all of that, God's providence is working toward the happiness and fulfillment for those who love him. And the free will is central in all of this. I'll pause there. Does that help just a little bit, Jennifer? Yes. It's a good book if you want to read it. It's called Making Sense Out of Suffering by Dr. Peter Kraft, and it's really a whole book about this issue, the problem of evil. And why do we suffer? And why does God allow suffering? All right. Well, I recently read When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and I really liked some of the points that he made, but he basically ended it with that God is not perfect and that we have to for, we should forgive him and then... I went to church yesterday, and they were telling us that God is perfect. So I, I, I just can't make sense of it. Is He perfect, well, or is He not perfect? <laughs> he is perfect. You can be, you can be um, assured of that. Now, Harold Kushner, the man who wrote that book, 
is Jewish. So he's not approaching this topic from a Catholic or even at a broader level, a a Christian um, perspective. So his way of talking about God certainly is a limited God who has flaws. That's not the true God. The true God is the God who is all-loving and all-good. So I would not take when bad things happen to good people as as a, a source guide. It was very popular when it came out, sold millions of copies from what I understand. Um, but it's just his way of promoting a kind of a philosophical way of looking at the problem of evil. But there's a far better answer than the one that's found in that book. And that's okay, why I say recommend the name Peter. of that book again. Well, which one are we talking about, Jennifer? When bad things happen to good people? Recommended. Yeah, it's called Making Sense Out of Suffering. And that's by Dr. Peter Kreeft. K-R-E-E-F-T. I know it looks like Kreeft, but he pronounces it Kreeft. When, when, no, I'm sorry. I, I was also, I was starting to give you the wrong book. The book that Kreeft wrote is called Making Sense Out of Suffering. Thanks. I'll be right back. This hour sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. Okay, we're back. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Let's get back to the phones. Mike in Bryan, Texas. Good morning and welcome, sir. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, Patrick, as a... Catholic and former active uh, Mason, um, is there any criteria or anything that I have to do to uh, stay in good stead with the uh, Catholic Church? As far as the connection with Freemasonry goes? Yes. Okay. Well, I am not aware that there is a specific thing that you would be required to do. Um, I would propose the following, though. I would propose that you... I mean, assuming that you... Are you still involved with them or not? No. Okay. So maybe it could be as simple as you just formally renounce it, and you could do this in the capacity of renewing your baptismal vows, and the priest of your parish could could witness this. You could renew your baptismal vows. We do that, um, I believe it's... Is it on Easter Sunday or... It's during the Triduum, it's common to have the whole congregation renew their baptismal vows. But you could do that, and you could ask the priest, can I renew my baptismal vows in your presence? And then you could renounce your affiliation, even though it was in the past, renounce your affiliation with Freemasonry. And, and I know there are some who would go to this length who would propose that it would be good to have prayers of deliverance prayed for you by the priest, this would not be an exorcism, certainly not a major exorcism or anything like that, but as a way to formally disperse any remaining, you know, I don't know, perhaps diabolical 
a spiritual attachment that might be trying to attach to you. I, I can imagine some priests that I know who would recommend that. But beyond that, nothing. There's no like formal thing you have to do. If you've gone to confession and you've confessed that and you have no intention of getting back again, I mean, even just that by itself would be sufficient. Does that make sense? That certainly does, and that, that will be my next uh, confession for sure. Awesome. Well, was this something you heard on the program that made you start thinking about that, or had you already moved away from Freemasonry? Yes, you're, uh, you had former dialogue with someone about Freemasonry, so I was just, uh, I thought about it, and I said, it's a good moment to uh, to get the the exact answer that I needed. Yeah, well, I'm happy to offer those recommendations. If you do get a hold of that book that was written by John Salza, Why Catholics Cannot Be Free Why Catholics Cannot Be Masons and Freemasonry Unmasked. I think if I recall, he does go into some of those kind of recommendations as well. So perhaps there's more there for you. Very good. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Oh, one other thing before you go, if you don't mind. It just oh, yeah. occurs to me that I would also get rid of any paraphernalia, rings, ribbons, uniforms, any kind of regalia or anything associated with Freemasonry, I would get rid of all that stuff. Get it out of your house. I have al- I've already started that, and I thank you for that, Patrick. Oh, you're welcome, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate that. Let's go to Jimmy now in Tarpon Springs, Florida. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning. I, um, I'm struggling with, am I still a Catholic? Okay. Uh, why, why I say that there is... My, my real anchor with the Catholic faith is the Eucharist, you know, the real presence of Jesus. That's my, my anchor. However, there's some teachings and uh, traditions and rulings that I, I don't accept. And I struggle, like, if I'm not accepting everything the Catholic Church teaches, mm-hmm. maybe I'm, I'm violating something by going to Mass and pretending to be a Catholic. Um so uh, things and examples, I guess, would be in a purgatory. I don't know if I believe in that teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struggling with confession to a priest. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, a few other things that I don't want to go through a whole litany of things, but you know, sure. a number of things. Well, I'm happy to work with you on that, and even if it takes more than one go. But what you're saying reminds me of what we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 24 where a father of a man, the father of a child, a boy who's possessed by the devil, he asks Jesus to help him. He says, so he, he talks about his son casting himself into fire and water, trying to destroy himself, but he says to the Lord, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And immediately after that, Jesus rebukes this unclean spirit and commands the spirit to come out of the boy, never to come back. Now, the key, it seems to me, is this verse 24. I believe, help my unbelief. And maybe that's a way of explaining or saying what you're experiencing. Lord, I believe and I want to believe, but I'm having difficulty here, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I do believe this. I'm struggling, as you put it. So maybe that can be part of your prayer to the Lord. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help the areas where 
I don't understand it or I haven't yet been able to accept it. And this is not uncommon for many people. It's not like every single thing that the Catholic Church teaches is immediately understandable and acceptable to everybody. Most people, they have things that they struggle with. But that's not a sin. So if you're in the sincerity of your heart, Jimmy, if you really do love the Lord, and I have no reason to doubt that you do, and you really are seeking Him, and you really are attentive and open to His teachings— especially as they come to you in and through the Bible and through the church. Because remember, Jesus said to the apostles, the first teachers of the church, he said, he who listens to you listens to me, he who rejects you rejects me. So when you listen to the church, you are indeed listening to Jesus. That's from Luke ten sixteen, by the way. Um, and along the way, uh, these issues will begin to fall into place, become clearer, that tends to be how things go. So my advice would be hang in there. Don't throw in the towel. No reason to do that. Ask Jesus to help you in these areas. Seek out good information that you can rely upon. Something that, I mean, Relevant Radio, I'd like to think is a great example of that. Where if you're struggling with something like confession to a priest or what have you, I mean, we're here to help you work through those issues to try to clarify them if possible. Lots of good books lots of, you know, just so much information that's available in so many forms that thankfully you live in an era now, Jimmy, where these things are readily available. So that's a plus, you know. Yes. Yeah, this has been going on for several years now, so okay. it's not a, I've been praying on it and, and mm-hmm. challenging myself as to why don't I accept these, these things. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you raised Catholic? I, yeah, I'm a cradle Catholic, so to speak. You know, Irish families, six brothers and sisters, uh, you know, all the way immigrant from Ireland, my family, my parents. So, yeah, I'm, you know, auto boy, yeah, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, when did you start, when do you, when did you notice it first starting to slip? Oh, I would say a number of years ago. I, I, I have, I have four remaining siblings. Uh, three remaining, me being the fourth, and uh, two of them are no longer Catholic; they're Protestant, Protestant of some sort, uh, denomination. Mm-hmm. And I have a sister who just passed away Wednesday, as a matter of fact, who was a devout Catholic. Okay. And we've had numerous conversations about this, and of course, two Protestant brothers. You know, they they have their opinions and shared it with me, and and um, it just. For years, it's been going on. It's, it's it's not recent, and I guess where I'm feeling guilty is. I'm going to mass every Sunday, and I'm receiving the Eucharist, and I'm, you know, and I believe in the mass as far as 99% of it comes from the Bible and the teachings and what have you. And I find nothing wrong with that, but it's just these, these, these traditions, these teachings, I, and I even studied where they come from, you know, such as purgatory comes from, from several places, but Maccabees in the Old Testament and so so forth. And I studied the Immaculate Conception and you know, where that comes from. I understand. I understand where the teachings come from. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the arguments in favor of these things, but I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know if I can fully tie into it. And if I can't, can't fully accept it. And I've been praying on it. You know, this is why I'm calling. Also, you're part of the prayer. Um, you know, maybe I should not be receiving the communion in the Catholic Church. I don't want to be offending God. 
that way. Well, that's admirable. I mean, that shows that you have the love of God in your heart, which is, you know, without that, nothing else really matters. So true, that's, true. that's no, the faith is there. The faith is the faith is there. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, the, the Trinity, the, the, you know, the Jesus, the Son, the only begotten Son. I mean, the resurrection, the death, the ascension, all this. Um, I have no problems with all that. Right. I'm fully Christian. Okay, from that point of view, it's the Catholic. Thing that I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to be offensive to God. I don't want to be offensive to the church. I don't want I to be a phony. That. I have a thought. I have a thought. Yeah. We're sort of at a fork in the road here, time-wise, Jimmy. So here's one thing. If you would like to delve into one of these issues, whatever, whichever one you want, if you want to hold over the break, I'll come right back to you, and we can start looking at one or more of these if you want. If yeah, you're pressed fine. on time, okay, if you want to do that, I was going to say, if you're pressed on time, then... Um, I can understand we'll make an appointment for a future discussion. But if you don't mind, we can. I'll come right back to you on the other side of this break. Well, I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good enough, Jimmy. So you're going to stand by there. We'll come back. We'll discuss. You pick out what you want to talk about, Mary or Purgatory or what have you. And then I'll offer you some resources that I think will be helpful to you. And um, And also, as I'm thinking about it, if you want to, when we're all done, Stay on the line, and young Thomas will pick up with you and get your contact info, if you're willing to let him know where you'd like me to send a book. I have a book in mind that I can send you, and there'll be no strings attached. You don't have to do anything other than just take a look at it. I think you'll find it helpful. And I will come back to you, Jimmy, on the other side of this timeout. You're listening to The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And this toll-free number, which you can call right now to get on the per- on the program, is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149. No. 